Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do rejoice to sing and to celebrate that truth, that we worship and we pray and we rejoice from a position of security, from a position of victory that Christ has won for us. And so, Father, as we come now, as we bring these requests to you, as we open up your word God, we do so with joy, we do so with confidence, knowing who you are, knowing what you have accomplished in the past, what you will yet do in the future. So we gladly bring these requests to you. We gladly present ourselves to you, that we would be those who truly worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, this morning as we as we worship here today, our hearts and minds do think about those who are in need, those who are hurting. We think about the Grieve family in Brazil right now, as Malachi is still on life support. Um, And God, we pray that even today they would hear good news about his body strengthening, about his heart improving. God, we pray for Josh and Jody, that you would sustain them and strengthen them and the whole family as they are, as they are together. God, may you be moving and working in that situation and may we rejoice to see the outcome of it. God, we also praise you and we thank you for the surgery this last week for Asher. Um, God, how we love him and we love the McKinney family. And, and God, we thank you for what has been done. And yet we pray that in the coming months, your goodness would be on full display, that your power and grace would be poured out and that Asher would be restored to full strength and health. And God, sustain the family through each step of this process and journey. And Lord, for ourselves this morning as we come to this precious portion of your word, to this text of truth, Lord, refine us and sharpen us, make us more like Christ. And again, we pray that boldly and joyfully because of who Jesus is and because what he has already done. And we ask it in his name and all God's people said, Amen. If you would please be seated and turn once again to Second Peter chapter 1. It was pastor and author Alistair Begg who famously said to a room full of pastors, Never underestimate your congregation's ability to forget everything you ever taught them. Now, I know that Harbor Shores is the exception to that rule, but still, it was good for those other pastors to to hear that word. And that is a word that I think the Apostle Peter, in light of what we read here, would agree with. We should never underestimate our ability, our tendency, our proclivity to forget what is most important. Moms and dads, never underestimate your children's ability to forget everything you ever told them. Sunday school teachers, teachers, youth leaders and workers, never underestimate your students' ability to hear and then to forget so quickly. We are a forgetful people who have the very keen ability to forget what is most important and to remember what is trivial, to remember what is mundane, even pointless. For example, I can remember lines from movies that I saw when I was 10 years old. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. Oh, you've, you've seen that movie as well, right? I can remember that, but I can't remember to schedule my yearly physical with my doctor. So my lovely wife 
must do that and then must remind me continually. I can remember my telephone number from when I was in kindergarten, living in Sebastopol, California. It was 707-829-0167. I can remember that, but I cannot remember to register myself for a very important conference that is upcoming. And again, so my my wife must do that and must remind me of that. I can remember the name of a really good restaurant that Anna and I used to go to in Northern California. It was off the Corte Madeira exit called Max's Cafe. Uh, and, And I remember them. They had this wonderful slogan under their name. It said, this is a good place for a diet. And then right after that, it said, this is a bad place for a diet, you know? And I, and, I, and I liked that. I remember the desserts, and they were so big, and they were wonderful. I can remember that, but I can't remember what grade my son is in. Um, someone asked me the other day, what grade is Landon in? Somewhere between second and sixth grade is, is what I said. He's somewhere, somewhere in there. In our sinfulness, in our weakness, we are a forgetful people. But here's, here's the good news. God knows this. God knows this. And he is gracious and good. And so he has inspired Peter to write about the importance of remembrance. If you're in Second Peter, look again at chapter 1, but look at verses 12 to 15. Peter writes, therefore, I intend always, if you're one of those people that likes to underline in your Bible, underline that word always, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. What qualities are that? We'll come back to that. I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Hold on, time out, Peter. If I know them, why do you have to remind me of them? If I'm already established in them, why do you have to have this ministry of remembrance? We'll come back to that. Peter goes on to say, I think it right. I think it right. And I'll say this, Peter was not wrong. (laughs) He was right. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. And not only that, but turn over one page to chapter 3. Look at Second Peter chapter 3. Look at the first verse. Peter says again, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Brothers and sisters, it is an unavoidable fact. It is an inescapable truth. It is a reality we cannot escape or safely ignore. We are a forgetful people. We are a forgetful people. And like Peter says, we need to be constantly stirred up. Stirred up like a mug of hot chocolate that has sat for too long. Like a mug of hot chocolate made with milk, not water. Don't make your hot chocolate with milk. You make it with milk or with heavy whipping cream if you have it. But you you make that hot chocolate and you put it in that mug. And if you let it sit for too long, it all settles at the bottom, right? And the chocolate doesn't permeate the milk like it should. So you've got to stir it up so that it permeates throughout the entire drink. Brothers and sisters, we tend to settle. We tend to settle. And Peter says, we need to stir you up so that the aroma of Christ and the truth of Christ and the reality of Christ would 
permeate your thinking and all of your life. So again, we are forgetful people, but thankfully God knows this. So note this on your outline. God is fully aware. Praise God that he is fully aware of our propensity to forget. And so his word forever stands as a beacon of light calling us to remember, calling us to build our lives on what is most important. Parents, is it sufficient to warn your children one time about the dangers of sin and temptation? Is it sufficient to tell your children one time about the goodness and grace of God? Is it sufficient to teach your children one time about the importance of watching over their heart with all diligence because it's out of the heart that we live and think and move and talk? No, we need continual reminders of what is true and what is right and what is good and what is sure. This is why... When Israel crossed over into the promised land and they crossed over the Jordan River, God commanded them to set up stones of remembrance, stones that would remind them and their children of what God had done. We read this. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Don't forget. This is why in Deuteronomy 6, God instructed the people through Moses saying, And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them one time to your children. No, no, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, talk and teach and share and remind of who God is, of what God has said, of what God has done for his people. Start and never stop. Get on this bandwagon and never get off. We need this for ourselves and we need this for the benefit of those around us. If we truly want to love the people around us, if we truly want to care for those around us, if we want to encourage one another in the right ways according to truth, then we have come to the right place in Second Peter. We've, we, we're there! We have come to the right place here in Second Peter because Peter's words and his example to us, it is so helpful, it is so instructive. Now before we really begin to consider these verses, we should, one, uh, we should note one very obvious fact. Okay, we should see one very obvious fact about this section of verses. Please note this on your outline. Verses 12 to 15 don't actually contain any direct commands to us. Wow. So I guess there's nothing to do. Not so fast. But that doesn't mean we can be passive in response to this passage. There are many points of application that subtly and not so subtly arise from this text. As Peter describes his life and his ministry here, we should be asking ourselves this morning several questions. Okay, These these are the questions that we want to ask of ourselves, that we want to ponder and consider together. Questions like this. How do Peter's desires 
for his readers impact me and relate to me and guide me and direct me. In other words, is what Peter, is what he was hoping to achieve, is that true of me? Would Peter, this morning, look at your life and say, you did it! You're doing it! You're, rem- you're remembering just like I hoped you would. Good job! Keep going! Keep it up! Would he say that of us this morning? Would he say that of you in your heart and mind from what we read here? And another question, as we see Peter's desires, we should ask ourselves, Do I have those same kinds of desires? Do I have this same heart like Peter to help others recall and remember what is most important? And if not, why not? Why not? Is there perhaps something inside of me, something in my heart and mind that God would want to change today? That God would want to grow and to work in me today? So, for the verses before us, for these just few verses before us. Here's how we're going to break them down. We see, first of all, a particular passion that Peter has. Then we see a confident possession that Peter says all the people of God possess. And then we see a hope-filled urgency. So note this first one on your outline. This is our the particular passion. Peter says, waste no time. Waste no time recalling your position and privileges in Christ. Waste no time. Peter's passion is is obvious. In fact, it it is hard to miss. It is hard to miss what Peter is driving at here. He wants that we would remember our position and our privileges in Christ. And again, like we said earlier, as we look at these verses, quietly sitting in the background are all kinds of good points of of application that we can begin to implement today. Look again at how verse 12 starts. Peter begins with these words, Therefore, I intend always to remind you, you should underline this, of these qualities. Of these qualities. Wait, what qualities is is Peter talking about? Well, it is the qualities that he just walked us through and listed in verses 5 to 7. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, uh, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And so if Peter wants to always remind us of these qualities, if Peter uh, thought that this truth was that important, that, that he would write this and say, I want you to always be able to remember this, if, if Peter was inspired of the Holy Spirit to record these words, then how should we respond to what Peter says here. What would be an appropriate response to the passion and to the desires that Peter reveals here? Note this on your outline. And ushers, lock the doors. Nobody is allowed to leave. Here's, here's an immediate point of application. Note it down. You should memorize Second Peter 1, verses 3 to 11. Notice I said verses 3 to 11, not 5 to 7, because verses 3 to 11 provide the broad, big, all-important context of that list that we see in verses 5 to 7. Now, I realize I 
cannot legally force you to memorize verses 3 to 11. I know that. But I want you to know that I've been in communication with our new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. And he's assured me that he will be introducing legislation soon that will allow me legally to compel you to memorize these verses. Technically, he hasn't actually returned any of my calls yet, but I think we're close. I think we're close. The point is, you should begin memorizing these verses immediately. And here's why. Here's why. What I'm about to say is a building upon of the previous three sermons that that you have heard, heard over the last three weeks. This is a building upon. This is a reiteration. This is an emphasizing of the truth that we have heard over the last three Sundays that when it put together in context... I think makes a very compelling case for why you need to begin to memorize and to think through and to pray through these verses right away. Note this on your outline. Verses 3 to 4 remind us of Jesus' sufficiency and our complete, our complete standing in Him. Verses 3 to 4 remind us that in Christ we have already received all things that pertain to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. We see that His divine power has granted to us His great and very precious promises that we are now partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire. Do you need to be reminded of that truth every single day? Yes. The answer is yes. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. We need to be reminded of that precious truth every day. That's why Peter writes what he writes. Note this on your outline. In verses 5 to 7, we see a challenge to us to grow continually, to continually supplement our faith. That's what verses 5 to 7 are all about. And Peter's point is clear. You cannot afford to stay stagnant in your faith. You cannot afford to become that sitting mug of hot chocolate that just sits there and becomes cold and nasty as everything filters down into it. You need to grow. You need to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with an ever-increasing knowledge of Christ and an ever-increasing knowledge of Christ with self-control and then add to self-control a steadfastness and then a, a godliness and then a brotherly affection and, and then a love. This is such a list that God has given to us here in these verses. This should, I want to plead with you, take time to prayerfully examine your heart and your life in light of these verses. For example, where do I need to grow in my virtue? I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and now I am told to supplement my faith, to grow in my faith, to develop continually virtue. That is moral excellence. That is the character and the nature of Jesus. Where do you lack that? As you think about your character and the character of Christ, where can you grow? What are you praying for? What do you see? And then knowledge. Is your knowledge lacking? Are you even applying the knowledge that you have of Christ? This is something to pray about. Self-control. Are you self-controlled in all areas of your life? In your 
thinking, in your eating, in your entertainment, in your praying, in your giving, in your serving, does self-control mark your life or do you have things to pray about? And then uh, would those who know you best describe you as steadfast? Do you persevere in your trust and in your obedience or are you more like water and electricity, always following the path of least resistance? What are you? How are you? Are you steadfast in your devotion to Christ? What about godliness? You are created in the image of God. Is that obvious? Are you exhibiting the character and the nature of God? Are you characterized by Christ-likeness and godliness? Or does selfishness rule your heart and your mind? Brotherly affection. Are you committed to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Who are you pouring into? Who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? Don't talk to me about brotherly affection if you can't begin to answer these questions. And love, do you love God? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Or again, is selfishness ruling your heart and mind? Trust me, you want to memorize this list. You do. You want to memorize this list. You want to pray through this list and to ask the Spirit of God to open your eyes and to show you how and where He wants you to grow to be more like Christ. But not only that, You also need to memorize verses 8 to 11, and here's why. These encourage and refresh our souls for the journey ahead. See, why do these qualities matter so much? Why is it important that we continually supplement our faith with these things? Well, as we learned last week, you can write this down somewhere on your outline, your joy depends on it. Your joy depends on it. Your confidence in Christ depends on it. Your assurance of salvation depends on it. Look again at verses 8 to 11. Peter says this, For if, if, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities, he's so nearsighted, says Peter, that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Do you get the point? Do you see the flow and the train of thought? You are in a battle. You are. You are. Whether you recognize it or not, you are in a battle. Peter, God the Holy Spirit, does not want you to become so nearsighted that you're practically blind. You don't want to forget the joy of your salvation. You don't want to forget the fact that in Christ you are cleansed from all of your sins. You want to stand and to look with joy at the eternal coming kingdom of Christ and Please do not give me any excuses about how hard it is to memorize Bible verses. If I 
honestly offered you $1,000 for every verse you memorize from Second Peter, I have a sneaking suspicion that your memory would improve. I'm asking you to memorize nine Bible verses, not build a time machine, okay? Now, you might be thinking, why does this guy care so much about whether I memorize these nine Bible? He is so worked up about this. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you. Second Peter chapter 1 was the first chapter of the Bible that I ever memorized. I don't, people often ask, what's your life verse? I do not have a life verse. If anything, I have a life chapter. And it's Second Peter chapter 1. The year was 1994. Bill Clinton was president. O.J. Simpson was about to be arrested. The sign by Ace of Base was popular on the radio. And I was a freshman in high school. For some reason, I decided that I needed to memorize this chapter. To this day, I don't know why. I have no idea how or where that idea came to me, but I felt compelled that I needed to memorize Second Peter chapter 1. And so I began to work and to work and to memorize. And for probably the next several years, I made it my personal, private, little ambition and goal that whenever I had a free moment, I would try to recite and to pray through Second Peter chapter 1. So eventually in this time, I got my driver's license and I would come to a red light and I began to see how much of Second Peter chapter 1 that I could get through. I was standing in line at the bank because you used to have to do that before you could do everything on your phone and take pictures of all of the things. And I had to fill out this actual little piece of paper and walk up to the window and give it to the lady. And she was always so kind and she thanked me because I actually filled it out and most people didn't fill it out, but I did. And that's because of Second Peter chapter 1, because of virtue. I'm just kidding. That, was not, that had nothing to do with anything. But I would continually try to see how many times and how often I could pray through and think through Second Peter chapter 1. Now, here's the point of this weird, long, drawn-out story. Don't hear this and think, wow, what a swell guy. He, he memorizes entire chapters. No, I really don't. I do not have a long list of chapters that I can give to you that that I have memorized. But here's what I can do. I can testify to the power of God's word. I can testify to the impact that this one chapter has had a a profound change on my life and my thinking on my goals and, and on my ambition. And I think it's here in the text that Peter would love for us and would long for us to remember and to never forget. To remember and to continue to stir up these specific truths that we would continue and never stop to supplement our faith. So, from Peter's words, I think we see at least one simple point of application that we can walk away with today. Next, number two, note this on your outline. We also see here a confident possession, meaning... Peter says, God's people are already established in the truth. That's what Peter says. The reason why Peter can talk about remembering and recalling is because he's not talking about something new that we don't know 
talking about something that we already do know, something that we already believe, something that we already have, something that we are firmly established upon. Look again at verse 12. He writes, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. John MacArthur writes in his commentary on this verb, uh, sorry, on this verse, he says, the verb rendered established, sterizo, meaning to firmly establish or to strengthen, is a perfect passive participle. Here it is, indicating a settled condition. This is the settled condition for the believer. And then he goes on to say, they had given evidence by their faithfulness that the true gospel was strongly present with them. And then he goes on to write, it was still imperative that Peter's readers receive this reminder in view of the threat they faced from the powerful infiltration of false teachers. So the point is, if you are a believer, you already have the truth. You already know the truth. It is, it is a reality. You have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. You recognize who He is and what He has done. You are established in this truth. But the question is, the question that Peter begs for us to wrestle with and, and, and to consider is, are you growing in this truth? Are you remembering how this truth strengthens you for everyday living? Everyday living. Or, or, and we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, or are you subtly drifting? Are you subtly and slowly and quietly being led astray? from a pure, simple, sincere devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, Peter is clear that we are not looking for new revelation. We're not. That's, you already have this. You already know this. We are not looking for new revelation. We already have, as Jude says, the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. Okay, Peter does not want us to lose that. He doesn't want us to be led away from this truth that we have already been clearly established in. And he's already explained this to us, like in verse 3, how in Christ you have everything that you need for life and godliness. Now, at this point, we're going to put a pin in that point because next week, Pastor Stephen is going to talk a whole lot more about the glory and the sufficiency of the Word of God because that's exactly where Peter goes next. And it is so wonderful, you're not going to want to miss next week, best sermon you've ever heard or, or 10% off your next tithe. That's not true. And I, I, don't, I don't have the power to, to grant that. Okay, good. All right, so we're, we're going to move now, though, from... Peter's particular passion to the confident possession. Now, our third and last point is then to the hope-filled urgency. There's a hope-filled urgency throughout these verses. Note this on your outline. Life is brief. Glory is coming. That's it. Life is brief. Glory is coming. This is so interesting. Three times in three verses, Peter talks about his coming death. Three times in three verses, Peter reminds us that he is soon going to die physically. And what we need to see here is how 
Peter describes his life, how Peter describes his body, and how Peter describes his, his coming physical death. This is very helpful, very instructive for us. So look again at verses 13 to 15. Peter says this, I think it right. Stop right there. Peter, Peter's either right or wrong. Okay? He says, I think I'm right. Is Peter right? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. What he's about to write and explain to us, it is righteous. It is righteous. It is pure. It is holy. It is God-honoring. It is Christ-exalting. This is not a, I could take it or leave it. Not at all. Peter says, I think it right. This is the Christ-exalting, God-honoring, pure thing to do. I think it right as long as I am in this body. Now, the ESV translates this word as body. It's not. It's the word tent. Peter is referring to his body, but he calls his body a tent. I wish the ESV didn't, didn't do that, okay? It's not what he says. He says, I think it right as long as I am in this tent, this tent referring to his body, okay? So I think it's right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body, nope, not body, again, it's the word for tent, since the putting off of my tent will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, <laughs> that's, I love that, and you'll know why in just a minute, but this is how Peter talks about his death. After my departure, it sounds like he's going on a lovely trip somewhere, doesn't it? Departure. After my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. It's obvious Peter knew that his death was coming because about 35 to 40 years before he penned these words, Jesus had told him that he would one day die for his faith in Christ. You can read about it in in John 21. Jesus told Peter that he would die, that he would be crucified for his faith in Christ. And Peter knows that as persecution begins to ramp up and it begins to become more intense, that his death is imminent. But notice how Peter writes about this, how Peter talks about this. Please note this on your outline. Peter describes his body as a disposable tent. That's what it is. His, his physical body currently susceptible to sin and to temptation. What is it, Peter? It's a disposable tent. And note this on your outline. The word that Peter uses translated as departure is the word exodus. Exodus. So Peter says, my body, it is just a disposable tent. And soon I am making my exodus, my departure to be with Christ. And this is so similar to the way that the Apostle Paul wrote about and described his life and his body and his soon coming death. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.1. I love this. He says, for we know that if the tent, the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, We have a building from God, a house not made with hands. Do you you see the contrast between a a cheap, disposable, silly little tent that's going to get knocked and blown around with holes ripped in it compared to a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then he says this, for in this tent we groan and we do. We 
groan as we see the effects and the consequences of sin. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So, Peter and Paul, they have the same heartbeat, the same desire to put off this sin-affected tent and to be with Christ. They desire the true building, the true house, the eternal home. And so Peter describes his physical death as just that. It is an exodus. It is a departure. It is not an end. It is not an end. It is not an end. It is a departure. It is the beginning of life in the glorious presence of Christ. And brothers and sisters, we need to think like Peter. We need to have this same kind of understanding. If you are in Christ, this is how you should think about your coming physical death. If indeed you do physically die before the Lord descends from heaven and calls us up to himself. Listen, Physical death for the believer, it is not the end. It is not the end. It is an exodus, like walking out of slavery, walking out of Egypt into the promised land. It is an exodus from this sin-cursed world to life in the glorious presence of Jesus. And that is glorious, it is wonderful, it is true. And if you have not submitted your life to Christ, you wait no longer. Wait no longer. What are, you, what are you waiting for? Surrender to Him now. Even in the quietness of your heart and mind, call out to Him. Ask Him to save you and to cleanse you from your sins and to make you new. Repent of your sins. Confess your ugliness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He promises that He will receive any and all who come to Him in faith and in repentance. Humbly to Him. You should do that now. But if you are already a Christian, if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then I want to close by asking you a question and then making a suggestion. The question is this. Is there any similarity between Peter's passion and your passion? Is there any similarity between Peter's desire and your desire? Any similarity between how Peter wanted to spend the rest of his life with how you want to spend the rest of your life? Right? Peter wanted to use his life to do what? To stir people up to remembrance, to celebrate and to rejoice in how good Jesus Christ is, that we would know him and that we would continue to know him and continue to walk in him. Is that important to you as well? Is that a passion that you and Peter share together? Here's the suggestion that I now want to make to you. That's a good way to spend your life. That's a, that's a great way to spend your life. In a moment, we're going to pray, and we want to ask God to give us grace and strength to live this way. You have kids, you have grandkids, you got friends, you got co-workers, you have neighbors. There is someone in your life who needs you to be a voice of truth. Somebody needs you to be a voice of remembrance. Somebody needs you to be the voice that stirs people up to remember Christ, to remember that He is good, that He is glorious, that He is sufficient for you today, and that it's not just for today, but that Jesus is sufficient for every day. You will not regret spending your life for this purpose.
you will not regret spending your life for this calling to help people to see and to know and to treasure the Lord Jesus Christ. And speaking of remembering, speaking of treasuring Christ and celebrating His grace and His goodness this morning, we have the privilege to partake of the Lord's Supper together. We have the privilege to do this. This We do this out of obedience to Christ who called us to this, who called us to remember and to never forget. If you are not a Christian, we would ask that you not partake in this time. This is something that, again, we do as believers to treasure Christ. As we eat the bread, we remember the righteousness of Jesus. We remember his pure and sinless and perfect life that he lived on our behalf. We could never live. We are sinful. We are thoroughly corrupt. As we will drink the cup in just a moment, we remember his death, his blood that was shed, that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. We remember the wrath that Jesus took for us in our place. Not only that, we remember his resurrection. We do. We celebrate his victory. We celebrate his triumph and the, and the truth that he is coming again. So we will pray and then music will play for just a few moments. We'd invite you to come to one of the tables, get the bread and the cup, and then we will all partake together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are good. What you do is good. It is righteous and just. And we thank you for how you have saved us. We thank you not only for your righteousness and for your justice, but this morning we praise you and we celebrate your grace and your mercy and your patience and your kindness. Thank you for sending Christ to be our Savior, to do what we could never do for ourselves. Father, we, we offer back to you our lives, not in an attempt to repay you because we could never repay you, but we do this as an expression of our joy-filled worship to you. As those who want to worship in spirit and in truth, as those who want to live and to act and to think and speak in accordance with the truth of the gospel. God, help us to do that. We pray that even in these next few moments, you would be working in our hearts and minds, that we would be people who remember and who continue to remember the work that you have done for us in Christ. Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is estranged from you, who is an enemy of you because they remain defiant in their sin, God, may you break down those walls and draw them to yourself. May they see themselves for who they are. May they see you for who you are. And they may, may they respond in humble faith and humility before you. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and honored in this time. And we ask it in Jesus' good name. Amen.